Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include reasons for moving, my interview with Mayor Brown, LLP's Lauren B. Pryor on M&A activity in the mortgage space and what makes for a successful transaction in the current environment, and why bond prices decreased in reaction to the Fed. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Calc. Given that rates are the highest they've been in decades, how can homeowners be convinced to move into a new home? With the trade-in mortgage powered by Calc, homeowners can buy before they sell, make non-contingent offers, and tap their home equity to fund the down payment on their next home. The result? Lenders help their clients negotiate a lower purchase price, reduce their interest payments, and eliminate PMI. What do you call a small pepper in the autumn? A little chilly. Tomorrow's the fall equinox, and do we say it's autumn? Autumnal? Autumn? Autumnal? Autumn? There's different ways of saying similar things. Do you know the difference between a loan, a mortgage, a lien, a note, and a deed of trust? There are differences, just like there are differences in the reasons people move. Wanting a newer, better, or larger house or apartment has been the most common specific reason cited for moves over the past two years. That's followed by establishing one's own household, evidenced by a change in marital success becoming a more common reason for moving in 2022 than in 2021. The percentage of movers reporting housing unit upgrades declined, suggesting a reversal of a boom in housing demand that happened in 2020 early in the COVID-19 pandemic. A quarter of the movers last year reported family-related issues for their move, the second most often cited general reason for moving, and the most in several years. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Mayor Brown LLP's Lauren B. Pryor to talk about M&A activity in the mortgage space and what makes for a successful transaction in the current environment. She serves as the co-head of the Financial Institutions M&A Group and as a member of the firm's partnership board, representing financial services industry participants in a wide range of strategic M&A. As everybody knows, and, and I feel guilty kind of belaboring the, the point here, it's a tough time in the industry. And as a result of that, and, and people know this since it's a cyclical industry and we go through market cycles, there's going to be consolidation. And M&A is an, an, an inevitable byproduct of that. And so I want to bring you in and talk about M&A in the mortgage space a little bit. Uh, can you give kind of a high-level overview of how M&A works in the space, how, how these transactions get, get started, your kind of experience with it? I know that's, that's a lot all rolled into one, but it's kind of an open, open stage for you. Great. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for the opportunity to come speak to you today. Let me unpack that question and start with an introduction. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Pryor. I'm one of the co-leads of our financial institutions M&A practice here at Mayor Brown, and I I focus in the mortgage space in particular. And I've been working with mortgage originators, servicers, and investors in this space for about 12 years at this point. I do uh, asset transactions, and I can explain what that means in terms of platform sales, and I do equity deals. Uh, investments in mortgage companies, MSR transactions, and and other related uh, tra- other related deals. One hundred and one, 
what is mortgage M&A? There's two primary types of transactions that would come, come into play. One would be an asset transaction, what we refer to as a platform sale, and the other would be an equity transaction, which means the sale of the stock of, of an originator or a servicer. And there are pros and cons to each of those structures. In, in the current environment, we've, we're seeing a combination of both equity transactions and asset transactions. But I think more commonly, we're seeing opportunities for originators and servicers, um, well, more commonly, we're seeing opportunities for originators on in terms of platform sales, and because that's because there are buyers that are in the market that are that are national originators who are looking to expand their footprint by taking on groups of loan officers and and profitable brands, known brands in particular jurisdictions, and so the buyers are be looking to expand their footprint by taking on uh, profitable branches in particular jurisdictions where they may not have the same the same coverage. So as I mentioned, the, the two typical transactions would be stock deals and asset deals. An asset deal means that the assets of the seller, so let's say we have originator A. Originator A has people, um, some contracts, furniture fixtures and assets that, ta- that take up the business platform. And the business platform itself is what is sold to the buyer. But this in the mortgage business, it's a it's highly dependent on human capital. It's a very personal business. And so the most important asset in that transaction is the people. It's the loan officers, the producers, the underwriters, the staff that make the the engine of the originator go. And that that is a platform sale where it's limited to particular assets. And so while particular assets are are transferred to the buyer, particular um, liabilities are also transferred to the buyer, but it's not all of the liabilities of the originator. by contrast, when there is a, a stock transaction or sale of equity of, of an originator, all of the assets and all of the liabilities transfer to the buyer. There are, the benefits to this is that the entire, the entire equity is transferred to the buyer. And if you're a buyer who's a new entrant in the space, you would be restricted to a stock transaction because the licenses in the mortgage space, licenses cannot transfer in an asset deal. So if a a new entrant into the mortgage space would be forced to enter into a stock transaction, so they would be looking for a transaction where the the seller would want to sell the entire entire business, all of the stock, all the assets, and take on all the liabilities. Whereas um, existing operators in the mortgage space would likely be more focused on asset transactions because they can attempt to limit the uh, liabilities that transfer to the buyer. Now, there are certain exceptions to that. Uh, repurchase obligations have been a liability that we've seen transfer to buyers in asset deals. Uh, we've seen classification of employees, so certain employee at, in certain employee claims may transfer to the buyer. But as a general corporate presence, uh, excuse me, as a general corporate premise, uh, liabilities, certain liabilities will remain with the seller in a stock deal. So those are the two basic transactions that we see with some of the key tenants that would be taken into consideration when parties are looking um, at one one structure or the other. And Robbie, if you'd like, I can give you a sense of how the discussions generally take place and how do two parties even come together to think about a transaction? You took the words right from my mouth. My my next question was going to be, how do these deals come together or even going further back? How's How's interest even noted that there would be a, a willing buyer or a willing seller out there? So yes, go, please. Yep. Uh, I think the short answer is that people talk. And uh, when there are, um, I think when there are attractive platforms in in the market, 
phone calls between friends are going to be made. It's a, it's, as I mentioned, it's a person, it's a, it's a personal business and it's kind of, it's a small world, even though the mortgage industry is huge, there's, there are a lot of personal connections. And so some of it is even outside of investment bankers, uh, CEO and CEOs and presidents talk and say, you know, we, we have a relationship. I really like what you've done. This is a very innovative and entrepreneurial platform. Come, come have a conversation with us. Let's have dinner. I, I think a lot of deals start simply with having a meal between two parties who are friends. I think if you have, if you have a bidder who is, or excuse me, a seller who is interested in getting out to the market, um, or a buyer who's interested in looking at particular targets, they may also speak to um, investment bankers in this space. You all know the Stratmore Group, uh, you know, Richie May, Houlihan Locally, KBW, Piper. There, there's a number of uh, very well-known investment bankers in this space who who can help facilitate those relationships because they all have they have networks and they and they can put out um, put out feelers for interested parties. So, some some of the deals will be highly competitive and go through an auction process. Unfortunately, the current environment is such that we're seeing fewer auction processes where there's going to be competitive bids. So I think there's I, I think in the current market it's more person-to-person conversations where where it starts. And then they start to build out what are the business terms, what are the goals of each party, how can we work together? And it's through those conversations and through through those um, through those dinners where you start to figure out can we work together? Because it's not a it's not a deal that is closed and then the parties walk away. Very commonly you have owner operators and founders who will stay in the business and the buyer will want them to stay in the business because their relationships with the employees are so key to the success of the platform that culture and connections between the buyer and the seller is really paramount, not only through the deal process, but going forward and having having success into the future. I'm glad you and I are, are very much on the same page about how this conversation is progressing here because my next question, and maybe I'm nudging you towards an answer of culture a little bit, since you've mentioned relationships in both of your your prior two responses here, what makes for a successful deal? Does it come down to uh, the prior success of each company? Does it come down to the the culture mesh of the companies? Does it come down to the talent of the people? Does it come down to the willingness to work together after the transaction closes? What, in your opinion, what makes for success? I I think there are three things that are most important. There has to be an alignment on price. If you if you have mis if you have expectations that are out of whack in terms of pricing, there will be initial conversations, but it may not get even to the letter of intent or the term sheet phase, and that's okay. Some there are lots of conversations that go on, and parties go different ways because there is a misalignment of expectations in terms of in terms of price. Second, second, I think cultural culture is very important. It's a people business. Owner operators, many of them have run this for 20, 30 years, care deeply about their employees and want to find the right home for their employees going going forward. And so I think culture matters for that purpose. But on the buy side, culture matters too, because the buyer does not want to take on employees or a platform employees who don't want to be there. And I've seen deals fall apart where buyers have spoken to management teams and the management team says, Gosh, you know, I'm happy where I am. I'm really not sure we want to make a move. I I think the buyer really wants to make sure that people are excited about the opportunity. It's a highly competitive business. Loan officers get calls all the time to go in many different directions. And so buyers and sellers are aligned that they want to make sure that the culture is something that's attractive to to the employees. And, And 
many deals are based on earnouts, which means that it's that that some of the consideration is contingent on the future performance of the business. So for that reason, they're also aligned that they want they want the loan officers to feel welcome and that there's a successful platform on the buy side that will continue to have um, continue to drive the business for both parties going forward. Let's talk current market, and I, I kind of alluded to it at the the monologue to begin this interview, but a tough environment makes for a lot of M&A activity because a lot of these owners that have been through business cycles before they say, I'm, I don't want to go through this again. I'm, I'm pushing my chips in and cash now. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to go do something else to retire, spend more time with my family. So we've, we've seen a lot of M&A activity. How would you characterize the current market? What do you, what do you see going on? What, what's happening? Our market has actually been quite choppy. I, I tend to be most busy with when it's incredibly busy for for the business. So 20, 2021, 2022, the end of 2020 was very, very busy because it was so attractive to hold to own to own a mortgage company and there's so much potential. And then in between when when the teeter-totter flips the opposite direction is when we're a little on the slower side. And then it picks up again when when it's really cha- it's a challenging time. So right now, I think the the um, the point I mentioned about expectation uh, mis excuse me matching expectations on terms of pricing, we're starting to see that really that come together, and that's where we when businesses business deals start to get done. It's that interim period where sellers are still looking at comps from prior deals. Buyers are very concerned about an un- about an. Um, unstable market. That's where we see misalignment on pricing. But but now I think you are you we are seeing um, individual sorry owner operators founders people who are running or, origination businesses saying there's some opportunities out there because there are buyers that are that have these national platforms where if you combine the businesses there's there's going to be efficiencies and synergies that can help drive the business for the next generation and and help the orig- help loan officers in what, what what may be a very what is a very challenging time have a bigger platform and having a bigger platform can present greater opportunities for more access to borrowers technology um greater efficiencies that that can that can help drive the business going forward and so i think some of the um, some of the origination platforms that are looking at by buying up that are looking at sell sell side opportunities are also assessing what does the buyer bring to the table and how does this help us drive the business going forward so that so that our staff and our employees have um have a home for the future i want to talk about your work at mayor brown a little bit and how do companies come to a price that works for everybody and what are normally the biggest sticking points in that process The parties come. Uh, some of the deals come to us where it's already where the LOI has already been assigned. And when I say LOI, that's the letter of intent. And so, in that case, we have we have less visibility into those those discussions that went on before the letter of intent was signed. But for the ones where we do have visibility, I, I think that the sticking points tend to be how much money is up front. Uh, I mentioned that 20, 2020 through 2022 were very busy. There At that time, most of the deals were based on book value plus a premium. Unfortunately, there's very few premium opportunities right now in the current market, but it has shifted to less cash up front, 
but more potential consideration through earn, through an earnout. And an earnout is contingent consideration based on the performance of the business going forward. And so this one potential sticking point is how much is upfront cash versus later, because there's risk on either side. The, the buyer would prefer to have more, more cash pushed um, into performance of the business because it shows how the machine is going to work going forward. And then the payments is based on the, the performance as opposed to an upfront cash. Sellers obviously want to have more cash up, up front. So that tends to be a sticking point, not only in terms of what's the number, but when is it paid? And then the second piece is on the sell side, what are the conditions under which um, the, some of the purchase price may be clawed back for indemnification for indemnification claims and other losses going forward. And so it's a balancing act between those 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 different pieces. And um, I think right now it's it's a challenge to come up with what's the appropriate indemnification structure for certain deals when it's based on based on an earnout and less upfront cash. And so the so parties have to negotiate where's that where's that appropriate balance. Before I let you go here, what do you expect as we close out 2023 and move into 2024 in the M&A space? The M&A space overall outside of mortgage just generally has been has been very choppy and I but I think that it's starting to become less choppy. And the reason I say that is we've seen fewer deals that have fallen apart in the negotiation stage. We've seen fewer deals where we thought we had a, a deal thought we had a, a term sheet and it failed to sign or it failed to close. I, I, I'm actually really hopeful today, even more so than a few weeks ago. I think we're going to see deals start to get done. I, I think there are some opportunities out there. And so I would say talk, reach out to your advisors if you're if you're interested. I'm always happy to have off-the-cuff conversations. And um I think I think 2024 is going to we're going to see some some deal activity and some really interesting transactions. Well put. Lauren. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks. Even with the Fed just signaling lower interest rate volatility going forward, in theory translating into tightening MBS spreads and lower rates, mortgage rates still jumped by over an eighth of a percentage yesterday, thanks to falling bond prices and non-trivial stack decompression. Much of the decrease in bond prices over the past couple of days stems from the market still trying to fight the Fed. The yield curve remains highly inverted and will only unwind once the hard landing scenario becomes less probable. On the data front, existing home sales decreased 0.7% month over month in August to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 4.04 million. Sales were down 15% from the same period a year ago due to a well-known confluence of factors. Higher mortgage rates, higher prices, limited supply, a lack of mobility, and homeowners who are reluctant to give up a low-rate mortgage. Keep in mind that an economic recession could also bring about an increase in inventory, as those who lose jobs may be forced to sell their homes, and those uncertain about their jobs will not have the confidence to buy a home. While the overall U.S. economy remains resilient, there are growing signs starting to show U.S. households tightening budgets or starting to reduce discretionary spending. Today's economic calendar includes flash PMIs for much of Europe, where modest increases are expected versus the prior readings. Domestically, S&P Global PMIs will be released later this morning, though the bigger headline is the resumption of Fed speakers following Wednesday's FOMC events. Markets will receive remarks from Governor Cook, Boston President Collins, Minneapolis President Kashkari, 
and San Francisco President Daily. We begin the day with agency MBS prices, a little change from yesterday, and the tenure yielding 4.45 after closing yesterday at 4.48%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I know how it will end for me in the future. One of my children will unplug my life support so that they can charge their phone. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Cal. The trade-in mortgage levels the playing field and empowers loan officers to stay competitive and close more deals. With non-contingent financing, bigger down payments, and the ability to buy and move before selling, Calc simplifies the home buying and selling process for everyone involved. To learn more about the trade-in mortgage and sign up for a demo, head to Calc's website at www.tradeinmortgage.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.